0: Welcome to another episode of Exploring the Seasons of Life, a podcast for women with a big heart on a spiritual journey. My name is Cindy McMillan. Do you ever feel like you're waiting on a permission slip to live the life you want? If you answered yes, then you're in the right spot. Each week, I interview coaches and spiritual explorers from all walks of life about beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. Self love, well being, and mindset are at the heart of our conversations because once you change the inside, the outside will begin to change as well. In this episode of Exploring the Seasons of Life, we are chatting about how self care can look different when you've experienced trauma and why progress isn't linear. I'm so excited to share with you today my conversation with Stacey B. Stacey B is a super smart, highly sensitive creative with a touch of trauma who openly discusses the healing journey she undertook so she can live her destiny, not her fate. She uses her successes and failures to create tools that support others who want to do the same. Welcome to the show, Stacy. Thank you for being here.
1: Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: This is going to be a great conversation. We, we shared our intentions and our prayers before we hit, hit record. So I think we're going to be just fine and co-creating together. I want to start off with what does exploring the seasons of life mean to you personally or in your business?
1: You know, my business is my life. <laughs> so to me, they're basically the same thing. I think I've I've really thought a lot about this and I appreciate you giving me that, you know, that question in advance. I think that first of all, there are more than four of them. You use the word seasons and I realize that I use the word seminal moments, you know, moments that signify a beginning or an end to a chapter of my life or a piece of my life. And as I explore them, And I feel grateful to do that because I get to share stories with people and it brings up who I was at that time. And I get to look at her as an observer as opposed to being the person living in the body and acknowledge a lot of things that perhaps I wasn't able to at that time. And I think that's so important because I don't think that most of us give ourselves nearly enough credit for our courage our tenacity, our willingness, and those are all qualities that I feel I've demonstrated in every season of my life. But I wasn't able to give myself the acknowledgement and the validation about that while I was doing it, sometimes because I was just too busy doggy paddling to keep my head above water. Um, other times because the emotions felt overwhelming of whatever I was perhaps dealing with at the time. But I think exploring the seasons of life gives me that opportunity to see my expansion and to see how I used to navigate life and the
0: Stacey, thoughts and beliefs I used to have. Stacy, I was just gonna say- But I've say- worked very hard to change. I'm sorry. Well- No, that's okay. I was just going to say, I love what you're saying and about how you're saying at the time when you're in a particular season. And and I love the using the term seasons because I feel like we go through so many of them, whether it's, you know, childhood, graduating, getting married, getting divorced, somebody dying. You know, there's so many seasons we go through in, in our life. So when I'm using the seasons, it can mean... It means so much and everything, you know. But I like what you're saying about how when we're in a season, we don't give ourselves credit for being in that season. And sometimes we have to be out of it to look back and go, you know what, I was doing the best I could.
1: Well, and, you know, distance is always the best way to get perspective. Uh, Sometimes it happens organically, as in you just get older, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because that happens and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, at least now, g- you know, give the scientists another century and we'll see where everybody is. But for now, that's the best way to get some perspective on and some objectivity because you can't be objective a hundred percent when you're living the situation. I mean, hopefully you've got some people in your life, at least by the time you get to my stage of life, that, are not going to sugarcoat things or blow smoke up your skirt.
0: Right, right. You
1: know, (laughs) but when you're younger, I mean, everybody's in a narcissistic bubble in their 20s, you know? I mean, (laughs) that's just the reality of it. So, I mean, it's funny because I I realized a couple of years ago, you know, here I am in my 20s, living my best life, having no idea of the whole hell that Anita Thomas was going through. And if you would have asked me if I was being self-indulgent at that time of my life, I was sworn on a stack of Bibles I wasn't. Right. You know? But now, 30 years later, I'm like, hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, we can look back and see. Right. You know, I wanted I wanna talk about your journey and what really started your journey, Stacy, of you getting to know who you are? Stacy B.
1: Well, I wasn't calling it then. It was actually in 1987 or 88. And I was working as a personal assistant for somebody who I did not realize was a raging alcoholic. And she, she was one of my greatest teachers. And she is the one who took me to my very first unity service. And afterward, we went into the bookstore and I found a copy of As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. And I have to say, that was what began. That was the very first step. There have been other critical steps on the journey that directed which road I was going to take. But I have to say, that was the first one. I mean, it was, I was raised as a Catholic. And. <clears throat> I have pretty strong thoughts and feelings about that um, and was not getting what, what my soul needed from that. I mean, I was in middle school and I'm going to Baptist Bible study classes because I was searching even then without even realizing it at 13 or 14. And I think that picking up a book like a booklet because it's tiny like, as a man thinketh, just opened my mind to so many things that I had never been exposed to before.
0: Isn't it amazing that sometimes, because we've all had those teachers, you know, that whether it's watching them and going, I don't want to be like them, or watching them and I want to be just like them, but that they... Introduce us to something, something like you were introduced to Unity and you picked up that book, and then your whole life opens up and starts changing. I love stories like that.
1: Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, she also told me never to get, taught me never to get in a car with somebody who's drunk. Like that was my first experience with that. So, but you know, I think that so many people hear the word teacher and they think it only has to be a quote positive experience and if you allow it to unfold it will ultimately become positive yes even if in the moment of the lesson you're feeling like what is happening (laughs) you know and you know when when you're younger or when you're on not really conscious about being on some kind of path blame is your best friend and at the time i totally blamed it on her but you know what hello the mirror is your best friend and I chose to get into that car. Now, was it because of my beliefs about what I would lose? If I didn't, if she fired me because I didn't do what she
0: asked me to do? Absolutely. But that's still on me. So, Stacey, when you, when you say what you learned was not to get into the car with somebody who's drinking or, or drunk, did something happen? Oh, Yes.
1: Okay. I was living in West Palm Beach. We went to Miami. She had written a book. And part of what I was doing for her was scheduling speaking engagements. Well, she had written the date down wrong. And so I went to Miami with her for the speaking engagement that wasn't that night. It was the following week. And so she insisted we go to the hotel bar and have a cocktail. I've never been much of a drinker. That has never been my substance of choice, alcohol. But she had a few drinks, and then I knew she was wobbly, and she had a convertible Camaro. This is like 1988. And we drove from Miami back to West Palm Beach on Route 95. And if you know Florida... People fly on 95. That is not a road to be timid on. And she was doing like 85 or 90 the whole way home. I got back and my roommate was, you know, we, at the arranged spot to pick me up. And I was shaking. I was terrified. Because I didn't know whether we were going to crash or what was going to happen. And again, at the moment, that seemed like such a negative thing to experience. And of course, it was all her fault. And as you explore the seasons of life, you know, I look back on that and I'm like, yeah, girl, you got in that car. There might not have been Uber or Lyft back then, but there were there was someone I could have called who would not have been happy about driving to Miami to pick me up, but who probably would have. It was my fear about what I thought I could lose by not doing it. And that's where the healing happens. When you own your part in something, I mean, I say all the time, your mirror is forever and only your best friend. Yes. Because blaming somebody just keeps you stuck in whatever
0: the experience was. I was having a conversation with someone this morning who was telling a story that they've told me many times, many times over the course of our, our, our friendship. And it's all, it was always about the other person and what they did. And today I happen to bring that up, you know, about what their role was in that. And I don't think they'd ever thought about it. So it was, it was kind of a surprise and, you know, and they, and they started thinking about it in that term and that was so beneficial to them.
1: Well, it just keeps you stuck, you know, and, and, you know, people talk about forgiveness and how important that is. And it always comes back to forgiving yourself because I had to forgive myself for getting in that vehicle. You know, I'm not saying don't hold the other person accountable in whatever way feels right to you. But at the same time, I participated. And for me to ignore that holds me back from expanding and getting to know more of who I really am.
0: Let's talk about self-care a little bit and how that can look different if you've experienced trauma, because obviously that was a a, a traumatic event for you, being in that car with somebody who was drunk and driving 85 miles an hour on I-95. I live in Florida, so I know how busy that road is. So let's talk about self-care and what you've done to, to kind of move through that trauma.
1: Okay. Well, and and I experienced trauma much earlier in life. And I think this applies no matter when you experience something that disconnects you from your true self, because at the end of the day, that's what trauma really is. And I, I love to write. I've been a, a professional writer for 20 years. So language is very, very important to me. And I see the word trauma almost becoming trite, that word because there's so many people using it today. Uh, the word trigger is another word that seems to be being overused in my opinion. So I, I really like defining trauma as really the disconnection from your true self. And I saw the most amazing thing, I've, and I, I I will do my best to f- remember who it was and email you it. So if you wanna put it in the show notes, you can, so that people can follow her, but she is, a neuroscientist psychiatrist that I follow on TikTok. And she had the most amazing Venn diagram. And the one big circle was safety. The other big circle that overlapped was belonging. And the third smaller circle that overlapped both of the bigger circles was identity. And she pointed out that the two most important needs of any human being are to feel safe and that they belong. At at the very core, that's what we all want. And when you're in a space where you don't feel safe or that you belong, you create a false identity in order to achieve those things. And the younger you are with... A smaller cognitive ability, the more likely you are to do that. I mean, I even did that in the situation with the car because I wanted to feel, and to me at the moment, safety was money, which was represented by that job and belonging because she lived... She lived on Palm Beach, I was going to the breakers and fundraisers and I met Ivanka Trump and back before the whole shebang, you know? And, and so I was being invited to parties and all these things, it made me feel like I belonged. So the identity that I took on had nothing to do with my true self. And so it split and my true identity is now off to the side and not even a part of that Venn diagram. So as that relates to self-care, first of all, how do you take care of a self when you don't even know what that or who that self is?
0: Oh my gosh, you know? Stacey, that is so good.
1: You don't really know who you are. And so, but 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 there's something in all of us that wants to truly love ourselves, that wants to truly honor ourselves. And so that desire meets that limitation of not really knowing who you are. And so you look for answers in all the wrong places. You read articles, you read blogs, you follow influencers. And, you know, for someone who had early physical trauma, perhaps of, of, uh, you know, sexual abuse or physical violence or something like that, a massage is not self-care in all likelihood. They may not want someone's hands on them. That may make them feel very unsafe. But because getting a massage is in the top three of self-care for women, you go ahead and do that and you feel completely unsafe, but you have no idea that you do. And so for me, it's really been a journey that begins with increasing your awareness of understanding that if you've had early trauma, you've probably lived most of your life in fight or flight.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Which means you're, or or they call it fawn now, which is the paralysis and people-pleasing aspect of it. And that you've, you've got to become aware of that little by little. And it's not a light switch. You can't just flip it on and go, oh, I'm now aware of all of the things that bother me and make me feel unsafe and blah, 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 because chances are you don't even know that you're feeling unsafe. Someone who knows and understands trauma looking at your behavior knows you feel unsafe.
0: But you don't, I didn't know. So, Stacy, let me ask something right there. How does... How did you know and how does someone know, and I'm going to use the word safe, because since you're talking about, and by the way, I love that Venn diagram you just explained.
1: I um, wish I could take credit for it, but I cannot.
0: (laughs) How does someone know if they're not aware, if they're not on that, that journey, how do they become aware?
1: By creating an intention to make things different. You know, if you're not happy with your life, if you are feeling, you know, it's interesting because human beings most of the time are not motivated by what will bring them joy. They're motivated to get out of stuff that makes them feel like crap.
0: Yeah, I heard <laughs> I don't that. Know why
1: this is? <laughs> right? I have studied this because I think at the end of the day, I'm really a sociologist. I love studying people and human behavior, and especially my own. And I think that at, at, and I feel like I say at the end of the day a lot, I'm going to have to find another phrase, but <laughs> when you get down to it, it really is about wanting something different. And I can tell you it's not going to come in the way you think it's going to, the change, the awarenesses, the insights, the realizations. its you know, It could be from driving down the road and a particular song comes on the radio, and all of a sudden you've got whiplash from the Wayback Machine because you're all of a sudden back in an experience that caused you a lot of stress. Those are opportunities. Because you, you, whether you like it or not, you're going to keep having the same exact experiences over and over and over again with different people until you decide, I want it to be different. And it may look different, but it doesn't feel different.
0: You know? That, yes, that that awareness piece and just making that decision to that I am going to change my life even though they don't know what it's going to look like when they change it, like you were saying that just making that decision, I think is such a huge piece huge. and we've all been there. Well, and then it's also, it's, you know, it's
1: again, one of those things where you got to look in the mirror and are you willing to do the work? Because, you know, people are willing to do the work to go to the gym three times a week and lift weights and do cardio because they want a beach body. But excavating all of the crap on top of your soul is just as much work. And you wouldn't expect to walk into LA Fitness and walk out two days later looking like Heidi Klum. That's an unreasonable expectation. And it's also an unreasonable expectation to think that you can make the decision that you want your life to change and then poof, like some magic fairy genie granted you the wish that all of a sudden everything's going to be different.
0: Stacy, have you found that people say they want to change? Because I mean, I have run across this throughout the years. People say they want to change. They say they want to work on their their inner self and, you know, excavate and navigate what's going on. But when it starts getting hard and they have to cry and do the ugly cry and do whatever they need to do to go through that process, they get scared and stop.
1: Well, the fear comes from it's never going to end. That's what the fear comes from. That if I allow this to happen, I mean, we are so, people think, it's so funny to me, because people think that, like, the United States in America is so advanced. We are, we are the teenager on the world stage. And we, as a country, are not in touch with how we feel. You know, and I equate it to the ability to smell something. You know, I have a very refined nasal palate for whatever reason it's how I was born and my mom and I got into a bit of a tiff one day because I smelled something rotten in my refrigerator and she was like well I don't smell anything and I said well just because you don't smell it doesn't mean it's not there and emotions are the same way just because you don't allow yourself to feel it in the moment doesn't mean it's not there You know, And the difference between me and a good part of the population is that I feel that stuff. Part of it is because of the trauma. Part of it is because of how I'm wired. I am a highly sensitive person. I feel it. And so I know it's there whether or not I want to admit it. And I've come to the conclusion that it's probably there in other people too, even though they don't want to admit it. And I am here to say... That when you allow yourself to build a toolkit of methods and and different uh, techniques that allow you to process that level of pain or grief, when you allow yourself to have a support system in terms of an inner sanctum of people who will understand and listen and not judge you for whatever it is you're feeling... When you're willing to seek outside help, whether that's in a therapist or a doctor or whoever it might be, doesn't
0: last forever. And the other thing that I think is important, Stacy, is for people to understand progress isn't linear. It's Absolutely. not one straight line. Can you talk about that a little
1: bit? I sure can, because this is one of my favorite <laughs> subjects. Because... We live in a world and in a society where progress is measured in steps to get somewhere. So how often have you heard five steps forward, two steps back? Yes. And so when you're on some type of conscious journey, whether it's, you know, to get a new job or change careers or lose weight or, you know, excavate your soul, whatever it is. I think people have a tendency to frame it in that linear context. Well, I made great progress today. And then the next day you're like, crap, I fell back into something else that I used to do. So what that does is negate the whole process and the whole progress when you feel that way. And to me, that's just your ego providing some some reverb like a boomerang. You know, you've made the progress, so the ego has to get in there and, you know, just knock you down a few pegs. But when you can look at it as a spiral, I think for me, it has helped me tremendously to keep going because it's not about linear progress. Because the truth is that any situation that you are working on to heal or transform or move on from, Requires different levels of strength in order to process the various aspects of it. So, five years ago, I was in a place to process X. Two years later, something else comes up that reminds me of that and reactivates that in my mind and my nervous system, whatever discomfort came along with that. And I could fall into, I thought I I thought I thought dealt with that. I thought I handled it. Why is it coming back? Well, it's coming back because there is a different aspect that requires you to have learned what you've learned in the interim, to have gained the strength that you've gained in between in order to really be able to deal with it, look at it, and move on from it. So instead of feeling bad that you've gone two steps backward when you can frame it as wow, I guess I've done a lot of work because I'm strong enough to deal with this piece of it now
0: it changes everything I have a girlfriend, we were in a certification program together 10-ish years ago, 12-ish years ago and it was very deep work going inside and, and knowing who you are and sometimes we'd get off the off our um training calls and we'd call each other and go oh my gosh i thought this was going to be easy it'd be one and done but it's not that way and it was just (laughs) it was such a learning process because we thought oh good we're good this is one and done and that's i learned that is not the way it works it's not and i think there there is so
1: much i will use the word harm done by people who put themselves out there as teachers and experts and authorities on any kind of spiritual journey who make it seem that it's even possible it could be a one and done. You know? I agree with you. And, and you know, again, I was looking and I didn't realize at the time I was stuck in something I call the hope nope loop. And this is something that I find a lot of people who've experienced early trauma are in because you want the situation that you're in to be different so badly that the amount of hope that you have is enormous, but then you're always let down. So you create this hope nope loop that if you're not in a place where you've got the level of awareness to realize you're in it, you just keep cycling through it. And I think that there is a lot of harm that is done, especially to people who have experienced early trauma and find themselves in that place a lot without even realizing it, by people who put themselves out there as, you know, it's all rose petals on the path and ice cream at the end of the rainbow. And you know what? No, it's just not like that. And I don't know anybody that it's been like that for. And I know a lot of people in a lot of income brackets who do lots of different things for work with their lives, who have a variety of passions. And it's just part and parcel of being human. And like you said, when it gets hard, people get discouraged if they have bought into that panacea that's been sold to them, they now think, as I did, that what's wrong with me? Exactly. Because if this person did it, you know, I remember one time I was interested in, in this wealth, this I don't know whether it was wealth building or what it was, coaching program, and something inside of me said, you need to ask for this guy's tax returns. Because he's out there, presenting himself. I mean, and yeah, he's got a great house. It could be rented. The car could be rented. And when you want something so badly, and in that moment, it was financial stability for me. There was a good chance I'd have just bought that without questioning it. And I think this is a big part too of of what some organized religion can create in people is the inability to question authority. Yes. You know, and when someone has what you think you want, you automatically make them an authority
0: figure. It's so important that we understand we're, we're our own authorities. Because Absolutely. I've I've taken a lot of training classes. I've been certified in a lot of different things. And there's times I wish I would have done exactly what you did, Stacy asking for some sort of proof versus just seeing someone out there and putting them as an authority figure versus my inside as my own authority.
1: Well, but we live in a society that prizes intelligence. So when... You know, and I know this is the case with me. I I don't know how many of your listeners might relate to this, but I've used my intelligence as a coping mechanism. You know, and when you get praised for it, when you're the one your friends come to to figure out workarounds for things they can't figure out, when you're the one known to figure things out. And I do. And I'm a writer and I love research and I'm eternally curious, you know, so I I will dive into the research to figure it out. But that's using this and not my using my mind and not my belly. I mean, other people feel it in their hearts. I feel it in my belly, you know, and I, I call it the brain to the belly drop, you know, where, you know, something in your mind, but it's like a slinky going down the steps of your spine until you know it, and you just don't know it. There's a huge difference. And that's the kind of work that needs to be done before you can even come close to making yourself your own authority. Yeah. Because we're taught, you know, and I think things are a little bit different now, although schools for younger people these days are a lot different, let's just say, than they were. Because, I mean, I'm going to be 59 in July. So, yeah, I was in school in the late 60s and 70s. And you didn't question the nuns. You didn't question what was in a book. That was not allowed. In fact, not only was it not allowed, there was punishment inflicted. (laughs) If you did. And I think that's also a, a piece, particularly for women in, you know, this stage of their lives, you know, they don't even realize it.
0: What, what, that they, that they can question something? Yes.
1: Yeah. That they have the power to do that, that they're allowed, they have permission. You know, like, I think it was, you was saying, write yourself a permission slip.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: you have permission to question something That doesn't feel right to you. But in order to get to a point where you can do that, you have to start doing the work to become more aware of how you feel.
0: I want to just I I want to I want to talk about that a little bit more, but I want to go back just a little bit. And I want to ask you, how was your mental health affected by the early trauma? Because I don't want to skip over that. I think that's an important, important piece. It's a
1: very important piece. And I went to my first therapy session in 1993 through the Employee Assistance Program, which I believe still exists. And it was because I was having an issue with a coworker that I'd been in a relationship with, and we were not seeing each other, and he was doing things to hurt me at my job. We worked at the same company. That's what drove me to therapy. Oftentimes I find what takes you to therapy for the first time has nothing to do with why you're really there. It was just the excuse, for lack of a better word. It was the pain point (laughs) was big enough to cause you to ask for help. And I have varied feelings on therapy. I think Western therapy has... um, I think Western therapy can do a lot of harm, too. I, I, so that's a different subject. But to, to get back to myself, it definitely affected me because I was behaving in ways that were not safe for me. I was taking risks and doing things that were not safe, but it caused my adrenaline to go up. And that's something I was familiar with. Um, you know, it has only been, if I'm honest, because I've been working at this and trying for a very long time but the whole terminology of complex PTSD or early trauma or the ACEs test, which is adverse childhood experiences that you can take to see if in fact, based on scientific research, you did have enough adverse childhood experiences to qualify, I guess, for a CPTSD uh, diagnosis. None of that was around when I started this journey. You know, and so my mental health journey has been a lot of my own work to understand things for myself. And I joke all the time, I love when science catches up with the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, I've been calling it emotional DNA for 30 years. You know, and now they're talking about generational trauma and all this stuff, you know, so I really kind of felt and, and part of it had to do with how I was wired by the trauma to feel like I had to do everything on my own because I didn't trust to really reach out and look for help. So that was also a factor. I'm not, you know, blaming Western psychology for all of it. Um, But it's really, it's, it's been a journey and I have to be honest, it's only been in the last perhaps five or six years Since some of this terminology has found its way into a more mainstream vernacular, uh, Besser van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, is something I would recommend to anybody who feels they experienced early trauma, because it talks about how the trauma lives in your nervous system. Because I think the term mental health, especially as it relates to trauma, is a misnomer, because it's not in your mind, it's in your body. Because you don't have the cognitive ability as a child to understand what's happening, but your body keeps the score, as he says.
0: You know, I think you're the third guest who's mentioned that book, and I have not read it, so I need to, I need to get that. Well, and the other thing I just want to mention
1: quickly is that the DSM-5, which is the tool that therapists are forced to use to diagnose in order to get insurance to pay for treatment is a product of the white male patriarchy. It is a product of the Western medicine view of mental health in that you're looking for something medical. It focuses on the symptoms. And there is an amazing man and an amazing book. It's called The Four Domains of Mental Health, an Alternative to the DSM-5 by a a man named Dr. Renee Muller who is a psychiatrist, an existential psychiatrist as well, who has written a different diagnosis tool that focuses on the story as opposed to the symptoms. And I feel like it is such an important step in the evolution of caring for issues that affect our behavior and our thoughts and our beliefs, and I would, I would really encourage anyone to check it out of the library. Just take a look, because I know for myself the DSM diagnoses can carry a lot of shame. Again, there's something wrong with me. When the truth is, I may have maladaptive react, you know, reactions and responses to things that I experienced, but they were the best I could do with what I had at that moment. And there's nothing, quote, wrong with me. It's just behavior that if I'm able to be objective and look at it and ask for the support I need to change it, that that's possible.
0: Stacy, I've been um, involved in this group. Now, I think we've only met four or five times. But the instructor, the teacher, is into mindfulness and, and talking kinder to ourselves. And sometimes I'm just, it popped up as you were talking when you said, I'm doing the best I can. That's what people also need to know, talking to themselves like that, saying, I'm doing the best I can, instead of always, I'm trying to find the right way of saying this, but always labeling themselves or having other people label us as there's something wrong with us.
1: Absolutely. And a lot of that comes from being a perfectionist. Yes. And, you know, that, that voice that's, that's in your subconscious. And sometimes you're not even aware that it's there. I mean, I call it a wall of white noise, you know, that I know is active when I can't meditate. I may know, not know exactly what's being said, because it's like the static that used to be on televisions when they would go off the air at the end of the night back yes. in the day, <laughs> right? Um, but it's just that static. It's a wall of white noise that just you can't penetrate sometimes. And that is created by the voices around perfectionism. You know, I had someone clean, come to clean my kitchen the other day after two years of promising myself I was going to do it. And I watched myself try to talk to myself before she came, about what a bad person, you know, having a dirty kitchen is not a moral judgment. I may make it a moral judgment, but it's not really, you know? And to make those moral judgments on ourselves about where we should be, you know, and what we should be doing. If you hear the word should in something you're saying to yourself, (laughs) that is a giant red flag that it would be in your best interest to change the dialogue.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And what we're we're talking right there about using, if you hear the word should, can you go ahead because I think that's a great tip for someone. Can you go ahead and give maybe two or three more tips for someone who may be feeling stuck in their journey, just to help them move forward? It may be three steps forward and two steps back, but as we've talked about, that really is just being a human being. What would you say?
1: I would say, first of all, the most important thing is to accept that this is where you are in this moment and you're there for a reason. Even if you're not privy to what that reason is. And don't try to figure it out through finding a way to accept it you will find the peace that is necessary for the next step to show itself. The second thing I would say is, and and this is almost just as important to me, I think we don't realize and keep in the forefront of our minds enough that fallow is necessary for growth. If you talk to a farmer they don't seed the same land every season. The land needs to be fallow. It needs to rest. And maybe what you're labeling as stuck is really just rest. The third thing I would say about this is when you can find a way to move toward acceptance, when you can find a way to understand that maybe you're not stuck, that maybe this is just your season, To be still, you have an opportunity to level up your self-care game. Because this is a time that you can take to get better in touch with how you're feeling about things. It's a time you can take to connect to yourself better. It's a time you can take to, instead of, you know, I want to be on my journey and where's the backpack and the Uggs and the whole thing and I want to be on the hike. Maybe you just need to sit and ask yourself what you need, and maybe that's just a glass of water. <clears throat> maybe it's just doing a thirty-minute yoga class on YouTube. Maybe it's reading a book, but we don't ask ourselves what we need. We don't ask ourselves what we like. You know, I have a real a dear very one of my she's my best friend, um, who was taking this course type thing for empaths and one of the questions was, what's your favorite color? It was not something she had ever really explored. And while everybody might not be in that place, and you can say that your favorite food is pizza and your favorite color is magenta, what do you need in this moment? Can you answer that?
0: I think, Stacy. sometimes people say, what do they want? but that's totally different than what do they need.
1: And you, you learn the difference between needs and wants when you ask yourself that question on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes what you may need is to just go lie down for 15 minutes. Sometimes what you need may be to take a walk or go to the park and sit under a tree and listen to the birds for half an hour. You just don't ever know what it is, but you'll never know if you don't ask.
0: What I wanted to just mention quickly is I love, love, love that you're talking about maybe we need to rest. I just started reading this book by Octavia Rahim called Pause, Rest, and Be, all about needing to rest. And so I am so happy that you talked about that because we don't allow ourselves to rest.
1: Well, COVID made made a quick cure for that, <laughs> you know, because and I think that's you know we are at the precipice of a potential enormous change in this country because COVID put the pause button on everybody, you know, and you can either try to return to your life already in progress although COVID's going to see to that not being possible because we're in for another round of stuff here in in a month or so. Um, But it's it's especially relevant to anybody who did experience early trauma because you have lived in fight or flight. You may not use that language, but that's what it's been. And if you're curious about it, Google it. There are a billion ways to, to learn more about that. Um, and I don't know if you want to, if it's okay for me to talk about this, but I actually have a free um, trauma education resources and healing guide with influencers on TikTok and Instagram, books, innovators, all those ki- articles, all those kinds of things for people to learn more about it. Because I realize not everybody wants to be at the front of the pack in the Amazons with the machete. You know, I get that. But I've always been like that. And again, I love researching. I love studying behavior and how we acquire our our thoughts and our beliefs, et cetera. And I just think it's it's so important to begin to explore this. And you can't if you're not willing to slow down.
0: Now, do you have that as a resource
1: on your website? I do. If people go to my website, they it's easily locatable.
0: Okay, well, why don't you go ahead now and, and say, say your website and your social media and where they can find everything about Stacy B?
1: Well, my website is stacyb.com and it's stacy with an I. So it's S T A C I B as in baby.com. And on social media across the board, I am hey, it's me at Stacy B. All so right. Instagram, I don't post a lot on TikTok. You know, that's a pool that's got a lot of muddiness and algae in it. And I'm not sure I really want to swim in it, if I'm honest. (laughs) I find Instagram much more palatable. Uh, And I actually have a private Facebook group uh, called Hey, It's Me, It's Stacey B as well, because I keep it private so people feel safe.
0: Going back to that. But all this kind
1: of stuff is is discussed and, and... And there's nothing off limits. I I like people are interested in that. They can connect with me on any of those places.
0: You know, Stacy, our time is flying, but I had one more thing that I wanted to just ask you. And that is what would you thank your 18 year old self for?
1: For never giving up for finding tools to survive and cope and for for always being curious.
0: Mm, yeah, love that. We have so much to thank our 18-year-old selves for.
1: Oh, certainly, certainly. And, you know, it's funny because people often joke about they wish they had a crystal ball or a manual guide or something for life. I'm like, no, you don't because if you would know if you'd have known at 18 what you'd be dealing with you'd have been like i'm out of here thanks (laughs) for playing you know um so it's just you know looking back on who i was at that age and the innocence and and for maintaining that innocence in spite of
0: Mm, love that What. Is the biggest surprise you've had in the last couple months
1: that's a really good question the biggest surprise i've had is the amount of progress that occurs through baby steps yes yes Because i've lived most of my life being an all-or-nothing person You know, if I've got five bags of groceries, they're all coming up the four flights of steps with me at one time. And I logic it out as, you know, well, why should I have to go back down all the steps? And I got to climb them again. But baby steps are important. Like I just had my kitchen cleaned. I didn't have the whole apartment done. But I've been making little itty bitty changes. And when I came home to my home the other day and walked in the door and was delighted To be in this space and to see what I saw, it was the culmination of a thousand different steps, you know, and when you're more aware of yourself and your energy levels, because I've realized recently that I don't really have an energy gauge. And so for me, sometimes a quarter of a tank feels like I'm full. And then I go out and live my life the way I think I want to live my life. And then I'm exhausted again and I can't figure out why. But it's because I didn't start with a full tank. And so that's my work in this moment is connecting to that piece of myself. But when you start with the awareness and you start taking those baby steps toward it, this is where the miracles happen.
0: Stacy, I am right there with you. I've always lived. It's all or nothing. You know, I start a diet and a weekend I've messed up. So it's, it's over, you know, I right. can't go on any further. Yep. And I'm also trying very hard to embrace those baby steps and how far they can take us.
1: Well, I try to do things as an experiment. So if I say I wanted to practice taking baby steps, I would ask myself, well, how many days can you commit to taking baby steps? And maybe it's seven, maybe it's three. Are you willing to take baby steps for five days? And if the answer is no, then I back it up. Are you willing to take baby steps for three days until I find that point of alignment that you feel, you know, whether you call it intuition or whatever connection, whatever you want to call it. And then I try it for that amount of time. And then I evaluate when it's done. I mean, I think when you approach life as a scientist, which I don't, I don't really, I mean, I took geology in college for my science credit. So (laughs) I don't really consider myself to be a hard science, a hard scientist. But when you can approach it as an experiment, that gives you the space and grace you need to decide what works and what doesn't work. You know, and maybe in the beginning, your baby step is really a mother. May I take a giant step? But you're so used to taking colossal steps that the giant step feels like a baby step, but you're not going to know that until you make a commitment. 24 hours, 60 minutes, whatever it is you can commit to.
0: Don't commit to more than you feel aligned with. See what happens. That is great advice. I am going to try that next week and I'm going to email you and tell you how it's going. Do that because I think it's a,
1: a fabulous way to give, to do what you need to do while, no, because you know what? It circumvents the ego, which is the all or nothing thing. And so saying, well, I'm just going to try it for a few days. And then on the next day, I'm going to ask myself what worked and what didn't work it totally shuts the ego out of that process.
0: You know what? I think instead of me emailing you, I should have you back on as an accountability podcast. Okay, that's great. (laughs) I'd love to do that because it keeps me accountable
1: too. I mean, it's wonderful that things that I say or things that I share from my experiences may be of benefit or of value to other people. But it's a symbiosis, because we always talk about what we need to hear.
0: Yes, exactly. So
1: it keeps me accountable in my life, too. So it's not a one-way street. And this is where I feel a lot of the people, again, who put themselves out there as, quote, experts, authorities, spiritual masters, whatever, forget it's a two-way street. I find that's when the best learning occurs, because maybe you try something and you do it and something works or it doesn't work and you share that. And I go, wow, I never thought of that. Now I can take what you've learned and share it when I talk to other people, because I think, and I know we're out of time. The thing that I would like to end with is that my mother has said for a very long time that change requires a groundswell. And when things happen in isolation, You never get the amount of groundswell you need to affect change. And so all of us on our own individual journeys, making changes in our lives, that's wonderful. To create the groundswell, we need to join forces. We need to talk about it. If we really want to affect change in this world, if we really want to make it a place that we want to live in, that is filled with more kindness than divisiveness that's filled with more love than hate, then we need to talk about this stuff and the difficulties of the journey as well as the rewards.
0: Stacey, that is a perfect place to end. I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much. Seriously,
1: from the bottom of my my heart. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Hey, friend, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, Please share it with others, post about it on social media, or head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. I would love to hear your favorite part of the conversation. And just a couple of announcements to make. I have a special edition podcast series with incredible guests starting in June called Self-Care is More Than a Buzzword. It's Personal. Also, the latter part of June, I'll be announcing my new coaching program. I'm so excited. Until next time, live inspired.